Welcome to Real Estate Hustlers Podcast. I am your host, Josh Appleman, founder and CEO of Appleman Properties. Today, we're joined with Ramsey, a naval EOD technician from Southwest Louisiana. Ramsey thrives in high-pressure situations and excels in real estate as a real estate investor. He currently resides in San Diego and is with his lovely family, showcasing a life of resilience, ambition, and balance. We're, um, Ramsey, we're, we appreciate you coming on today. If you could, just let us know a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, thanks for the introduction, Josh. I, uh, yeah, I've been in the Navy for 17 years now. And uh, I got to apologize for my backdrop, man. I had a really cool military backdrop all set up, but I got promoted and got an office for the first time in my career. So <laughs> all nice. of my military gears been shifted over. Um, but yeah, man, I got started in real estate kind of accidentally. As a lot of military folks do, we were able to use the VA loan to purchase a house. And I was able to do that in uh, San Diego, California. And whenever we moved, me and my wife moved down to the panhandle of Florida. We sold our house and put 40,000 bucks in our pocket. And at 23 years old, dude, I was like, we're rich. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I don't have to work anymore. Like we're rich, babe. We made it. And um, when we moved down to Florida, my dad had always told me, if you ever get the chance to buy like a duplex or something and live in one side and rent out the other side, that that would be a good idea. Um, and I found a place uh, and I told my wife, I was like, hey, how about when we move to Florida? Uh, it's a little bit cheaper down there. We go buy us a duplex, live in one side, rent the other side out. And she was like, how about no? How about <laughs> never going to do that? <laughs> right. And, and it's funny because you get the two different uh, types of people that end up together, the creative type and the conservative type. And she was like, Ramsey, we're raising a family. We've got dogs like I don't want to share a wall with with our, our tenants, like that doesn't sound like any fun to me. And I didn't hear a no, I heard yes, but yes, but don't share a wall. So I went out and found a property. It was like a three bedroom, two bath property. And it had these cottages on the back behind the fence um, that had alley access. And it, it, to me, it looked perfect. So I told my wife, I was like, we're going to buy this house. I didn't even tell her about the cottages on the back. She, I just showed her the house, everything, never mentioned the cottages. And I was like, what do you think? And she's like, this is fine. You know, we're only going to be here for a couple of years. So I went and bought it. And as soon as uh, we closed, I said, you see those cottages out back? She goes, yeah. So, well, what do you think about them? <laughs> Looks like some cottages. I was like, cool. We own them. <laughs> and uh, she was like, what? I said, hear me out. Each of those rent for 650 bucks a month. Our mortgage is 1200 bucks a month. Our, our electricity bill is 100 bucks a month. So those two people that live in those little bitty cottages pay for us to live in a three-bedroom, two-bath, two-car garage, house with a yard, fenced-in backyard. So this is everything that we need. We live here for free now. And That's when incredible. she heard that, she was like, oh, Oh, okay. This so, is good. Right? Life, like, life all moment. Yeah. I, I, I call that the hush money, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, you, you settle a lot of concerns whenever the money starts coming in. So, and that was, uh, that was my first introduction to multifamily, the power of scaling. Uh, and that was, we didn't call it a house hack back then. We just called it buying a place with some stuff to rent on it. But now that's, you know, I still house hack to this day. Um, but whenever I saw the power of multifamily real estate, I started, okay, well, what's next? Go buy me a duplex across town, started getting into large multifamily, got a commercial apartment complex, a seven unit, bought a six unit, 
um, and then kept scaling. Everything kept getting bigger every time that I would do it. Eventually ran out of my own money because all of my money was deployed and it was making money, but I realized that my income was not matching my growth and was not matching my potential. So I started partnering with people, bringing on investors and bought a hotel, started syndicating. And now uh, in the past two years, I've gone from just my individual portfolio to partnering up with a couple of guys. And now we have uh, got over 500 units under management in just two years. And it's, it's been nuts from there. So, man, that, that's the power of, um, of leveraging your group and the people around you. That's, um, that goes to show and, and what you did, how you started out or, uh, how you, that's what we dream of. If we could go back and do that, you did exactly what, I mean, I would love to go into a fourplex or an eightplex with the family. And, and, uh, yeah, that's the power of, of, uh, of multifamily you get everyone around you to pay your bills as you scale up it's an asset on the uh the books and um that's incredible congratulations that's uh and you snuck your way in there you didn't let the wife know you put the cottage in the back yeah <laughs> there's a will there's a way man and i will say that like i talk to people all the time who are in the military and it's it's they don't have any excuse whenever they see that me and one of my partners too is also full. We're full-time deployable anywhere in the world, active duty military. And I tell people, I say, look, real estate is not something that you quit your job to do. It's something you do so you can quit your job. Yeah. Right. And the guy, the people in the military, I'll tell you a quick little story about me. Whenever I checked in, I would graduated uh, EOD school, so special operations, and I got to my first command. My command master chief, which is the position that I'm in right now, I literally have this guy's job, but this was 15 years ago. He was the most experienced technician in the Navy. He wore a different badge than everyone else because he was like, we call him the master blaster. This guy was the dude. I mean, he had been in the Navy like 25, 26 years, achieved all these accolades. And he was our command master chief. Whenever I went on deployment, he retired. When I came back and we were doing some drills, I see this guy and he's working for a contracting company and he's like setting up drills for me and my guys to train on. And I was like, man, what happened? Like this guy was the the, the epitome of what I wanted my career to be. Yeah. And when he retired, now he was working for somebody else, setting up drills for me, who was a very junior guy in the Navy. And I thought, damn, man, a full Navy career, retiring from the Navy looks a lot like getting out and getting another job working for the military in a different capacity. Mm. And I hated the thought of that. I hated hanging up one uniform to go put on another and just start another career over. Like by the time I've done 20 years in the Navy, I will have been told what to do, where to be, who I'm working with, what my job is, what time I got to be there. Oh, I've been told what my whole life, 20 years is a whole chapter. I'm done after that. And real estate, getting started, chipping away at investing in real estate has continued to grow for me while I've done it outside of the Navy. It's no longer really a side hustle for me. It's pretty much, it's, it's what I do now. Um, and when I graduate or graduate, when I retire from the Navy in a couple of years, I'll be able to step out of my Naval retirement and not have to work if I don't want to. And it's because I started 
you know, 10 years ago now, almost uh, chipping away and adding little assets and buying little assets when I could partnering with the right people, leveraging other people's strengths that, that lift up my weaknesses and every year adding and adding and adding to my net worth, my capabilities, my relationships. And whenever I get out of the Navy, I don't have to turn around and go run drills for the junior guys anymore. Like that's not that I'm above it, but I ain't doing it. Yeah. <laughs> that no, that's, and, and you being in the Navy, now you, you, you bring a different type of discipline to real estate. How do you feel like being in the Navy and the disciplines you've learned? How do you feel like you've applied those towards real estate? Well, there's, there's, I call it the three D's of leadership. It's a horrible analogy, but there's some truth to it, right? It's uh decide, delegate, disappear. I like it. <laughs> don't follow, don't follow that. <laughs> but there is some truth, right? Like uh, the one thing that the Navy does teach you is like, there are a lot of parallel um, capabilities from being in the Navy that translate directly into civilian life, entrepreneurship, right? Leadership the ability to delegate, the ability to assemble teams to take down a task, logistics. The people in the military get this stuff pressed down them all the time. And what ends up being, it's very true, uh, what my normal is, is so absolutely abnormal to somebody in the civilian world that whenever I look at a task that like seems daunting or seem, I'm like, dude, we're going to be fine. And they get they actually diagnosed uh, people in the special operations community with something called optimism bias. And it's just the feeling that things are going to be OK. And they said it like it was a bad thing. It's because we, you know, we, we dive to the depths of the bottom of the ocean. We skydive out of airplanes. We shoot big guns. We blow stuff up on a normal basis. Right. So that's yeah. what our normal is. And that's extremely abnormal to your regular civilian life person. So when I look at something like, hey, we, what are we going to do if we don't have a plan to, to take down this big piece of real estate? I'm like, well, we're going to figure this out, right? Like this is, yeah. this is not life or death stuff. All we got to do is put everybody in the same direction, give them a vision, assign some tasks and move forward, right? Another good thing that the military has taught me is the difference between a good plan and a perfect plan is one of them actually gets started. If you're waiting for the perfect plan, you are going to sit around. And by the time you get started, the window of opportunity has already closed. I am willing to move forward on a good plan with 80% of the information that we need and leave the other 20% for me to adjust fire on anomalies. And that attitude that I've been able to push into the civilian life, uh, it doesn't always bode well with like partners if they don't understand it, but they end up seeing it on the back end, right? I'll use the example uh, with my, one of my partners, Brandon Magarowski, he is very, very task oriented. I am very, very vision, creative thought process, right? Um, I will, I, there has been times when I'm like, Hey, we're doing this and I'll put it out to the world that we're doing it before we even know what we're going to do. And he's like, we got to, Oh, the hair's on fire, right? Like we got to have all this stuff planned out. I'm like, Nope. We put a timeline in place. We tell everybody we're going to do it. And then next thing you know, it ends up happening. And that's kind of that's kind of the way that I go. It pisses him off. I know it does, but it ends up we look back on it, it ends up working out uh, just fine. So those are some of the things that the Navy has, has allowed me to bring into the civilian sector. Yeah, no, I love it. You got to take action. That's the biggest piece is you can even analysis paralysis. You can sit there and underwrite and analyze and, and find the perfect deal. And there is just no such thing as a perfect deal. Get creative, make it work, make things work. And there's a balance between if you want to buy a property, there's a balance between yourself and the, and the seller. 
And if you can't find that balance, the sweet spot, then move on. But the, the, the analysis paralysis stopped a lot of people from moving forward on real estate. But you're right, take action, 80% is, uh, is there. And you're going to have 20% novel anyways. By the time you take over a large property, the financials every single time don't seem to add up. You find the uh, the bad actor tenants, the tenants that just weren't paying, but according to the rent roll, they were or this or that. But uh, and you adjust and you you put in your uh, your marks and make sure that you underwrite uh, accordingly. So you're balancing an active U.S. Navy career with real estate and um, uh, essentially two careers at once. Um, how do you, how are you balancing that? How is um, how do you do it on a day to day basis? So I don't I don't I think balance is the right word. Um, counterbalance would be the right word because people they, they they teach in the military all the time they teach in the civilian world too is that work-life balance that's that's bullcrap like yeah. nobody if you are constantly trying to balance something right you're, you're you're effectively moving you're not moving forward in either direction right you're just kind of stagnant you got to counterbalance and the way that i look at things i look at it in seasons whenever i'm deployed I'm working on myself. I'm getting shape. I'm getting, you know, I'm like studying anytime that because I, I don't have the family around. I don't have to worry about my time being uh, spent. I can't spend my time with my family and my kids. So I spend it with myself and on my career. Whenever I get home from deployment, I'm spending that is the time for me to be with my family. That's like I usually kind of get kind of fat. <laughs> I'm not working out as much anymore. Yeah. Right. But then the rest of the time uh, like that, I'm leading up, I'm, I'm spending the majority of my time focusing on my military career. I do the same with real estate. I do it in seasons. Whenever uh, I see time, like for one, I call it building my mountain out of layers of paint. Every single day I get up in the morning and I put an hour into my military career, or sorry, my, my, uh, my real estate career, at least an hour, whether it be this podcast, whether it be some research, whether it be calling, uh, reaching out to brokers, researching deals, whatever it is, I put an hour in, and that you will drastically underestimate the things that you can do in a long time, while at the same time overestimating the things you can do in a short period of time. If, and let, let me say that again. You will drastically overestimate the things you can do in a short period of time, while also underestimating things you can do in a long period of time. I've been at this real estate for eight to 10 years. I started 2015. It's like eight or 10 years. Not a mathematician. If you would have asked me when I first got started, I would have told you I'm building a hundred unit. I'm, I'm getting a hundred units this year, right? I ended up with 12, right? If you'd asked me if I'd ever be at over 500 units, if I'd ever have a syndication company, if I'd ever be a capital raiser, if I'd ever have my own course, my own podcast, my own mastermind, I wouldn't even know what those things were, right? But now over a long period of time, I've got all of those things, right? And I so I completely overestimated what I could do in a short period of time while at the same time underestimating what I could do in a long period of time. And it took me chipping away, but I do go in seasons in real estate right after we close a deal, man, I take a break. Like, I don't want to talk to brokers. I don't want to talk to anybody, right? I'm going to focus on me. I'm going to regenerate. I'm going to, I'm going to start getting back into my morning routine, getting back into the workout stuff. Yeah. If you have a full-time job, do not think that you're going to be able to sustain for 12 months out of the year, constantly going after real estate. Find your pace, 
Don't compare yourself to what everybody else is doing. You don't yeah. know what's going on in their life. You don't know. They might be extremely successful in real estate, but their family is falling apart. They may not have called their dad in three years, right? When you start comparing yourself to other people, you're already worried about the wrong stuff. Worry about yourself, come up with a pace, do it in seasons and work yourself out of your current job, right? You do got to start, you do got to start paying attention to this stuff. It's never too late. The best time to get started in real estate was 20 years ago. The worst time or the next best time is today. And it's not how, how it's not waiting around to, to time the market, right? It's spending time in the market. So get going, get started, get that first deal knocked out. And over time, add to that and it'll, it'll grow. It will yeah. grow. No, you're totally right. And I think a, a big part is, is finding the vivid vision. When you actually write down what you're looking for and you set a target, like a, uh, just saying a ship doesn't leave port without a destination. If you find out, take the time, write it down. And subliminally, you're, you're heading towards that destination. And uh, have, not everybody wants thousands of units, but you know they, they do want a nest egg to retire on. Even if it's 100 units or 10 units or 15, um, it's just getting started. And you're right, it's never too late. Um, Totally agree. That's um, so you're in um, you're a graduate of multifamily U, and that's uh, Neil Bawa, and uh, he's very highly respected in the industry. Uh, he's he's um, uh, his market uh, analysis, his uh, presentations are spot on. How has that helped you in the uh, the real estate investing industry? So I'll tell you how I was led to Neil. Um, whenever I was investing in Panama City. My my part my now partner Brandon Magarowski we own another business together and and I would tell him whenever we get our dividend checks like man I can't wait to put this in real estate and he you know he heard me and he eventually hit me up and said hey uh you know dividend checks are coming I want to put it into real estate can I partner with you and I said well I don't need your help in Panama City but let's figure out where you know where do you live and he said Shreveport I said well let's invest there. And I told him, here's what I do in Panama City. You do that in Shreveport. You find these types of deals. I'll split the money. We'll, we'll split the money and you do the work and I'll teach you. And <laughs> I taught him and we did, it did not work out, right? Shreveport, Louisiana uh, was not the place to invest. I had no clue what was going on in Shreveport. I just said, if it works here in Panama City, well, then it it's real estate. It must work in Shreveport. What I was missing was the market, right? What the market was telling me. In Panama City, I had people submitting $25 application fees to get into one of my units. I would have 20 or 30 of them. I would be able to be very, very like exclusive with who I wanted to live in my, in, in, in my uh, apartments. At the same time in Shreveport, whenever I finally realized that we had made a bad decision, I was like, why is this? I opened up Craigslist and saw the first ad was like first month's rent rent free and free TV with a 12 monthly. I was like, oh. oh my God, dude. Like people are paying me 25 bucks to apply in Panama City. And at the same time, the same type of apartment complexes, they're giving away free TVs in Shreveport. So God, what's why? What's the difference? Like what really what's going on in Panama City that's not going on in Shreveport? So I was listening to a podcast literally that day and Neil Bawa was wrapping up a podcast. He was talking about, he was like, I, I like to give golden nuggets. If you want a golden nugget, if you currently own in Detroit or Shreveport, Louisiana, you need to sell. And I was like, oh my God, there are 
thousands of cities in the United States. And, and Neil Bauer just told me that Shreveport is the worst one on multifamily. In, and this is what I like. This is what I have. And so that's when I called Brent. I said, hey, man, Shreveport ain't working. We got to get out. <laughs> we got to get out. Got and we took, <laughs> yeah, we, 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 I said, and also we got to go talk <clears throat> to this guy. So me and Brandon flew out. We sat down with Neil Bala and had him show us exactly how to read markets. Um, like he, he understands data and stats yeah. and he taught us why said, cool. We paid him to do it, came back home. And then that's whenever we started learning how to research markets from a very high level, break it down into a simple way to understand and uh, and that has that that has helped us with two things. One, knowing what a market is telling you from a higher level, but two, it helps you really distill down what markets to focus on. Yeah. It's very very easy to just have your inbox flooded with with you know multifamily apartment complexes from pick a city USA, yeah, and you spend so much time on looking at that that building. And then you, oh, this looks like a great building, but then you look at the market and the market's crap. And so it's, you got to start, you got to start the other way around. And I put out a post the other day that says the amateur looks at the apartment complex and then uh, asks about the market and the professional looks at the market, then asks about the project, yeah. right? So if you can pick out the top two to three cities that make sense for you, whether that's because of locality, whether that's because you know somebody there, uh, you have connections in that city, and you can make sure that, that that city is healthy. Well, now you don't have to worry about anything else in the United States. Focus on that market, and you will find deals much faster. Yeah, that and, and the sub-market within the market, because we know that there's areas in everyone's backyards to where you just, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to invest in there. And that's, that's becoming very market specific, but you're, how many units was that property? The, um, the Shreveport one. Yes. So we had a six unit and a, and a triplex. So we had nine units kind of on the same little area. And to be clear, you can make money in a bad market and you can lose money in a good market. Right. Yeah. What I didn't know was one Shreveport was losing population because jobs on the air force base had been cut. So they lost 1% of their population. And you think somebody might say, well, that's 1% is not that big of a deal. Well, let's do the math on that real quick. City of 200,000 people, 1% leaves, that's 2,000 people. Those 2,000 people lived in that city. That city was built to outfit 2,000 people. So now anytime you put something up for rent, you have 2,000 competitors that you are trying to beat out for the, for the population that's already housed there. Cause yeah. if they lost, if they are losing population, everyone that there already lives there, they don't need a place to stay. And then when they do decide to move, you're competing with 2000 vacancies yeah. just from the population decrease. That's not even to consider any of the current vacancies that they had. So it was a bad situation altogether, especially in the multifamily sector. But at the same time in Shreveport, people were doing, um, new development, single family, and making a lot of money because that's what that market needed was single family homes for the people that were moving there for the higher end jobs. But the lower end jobs were, were exiting and going to different places looking for work. And that's typically where you're going to find people that live in small apartments. So it was just just matter of wrong, uh, wrong um, asset type in the wrong city. 
but and there's yeah different dynamics at play and and knowing what KPIs to look for that's uh, that's good insights. Um, so with real estate, you've uh, everyone meets their challenges. What's the biggest challenge you've you've met with and how do you overcome it? Uh, balancing my time, right? And we talked about it earlier. I have a I now have a very good relationship with time, and I didn't have it until I hit thirty. Whenever I was in my twenties, it was all about making money. It was all about making money. And it was at the expense of like, whenever I did my shore duty, like in the Navy, you spend five years deployable and three years doing like instructor stuff where you're at home and you kind of work like a nine to five. I spent those entire three years working on building wealth, but I look back now and I miss a lot of my, my children's like just time that I had to spend with them. Also put myself in the hospital because I was just working so hard. Uh, literally got a, a tension headache uh, because I was uh, I was running baseball tournaments. I would I would go to work all day. I'd get off get off work in the afternoons. I would go renovate my apartment complex till the sun went down. I'd go home and send out emailers from my uh, my tournament that was coming up that weekend. And on the weekend, I would pull a trailer into work. I get off work. I drive that trailer to a different city. Throw a baseball tournament. Usually the last pitch was thrown about midnight on Sunday night. And I go wow. home and start work Monday again. I did that for five weeks until one day after sending off an email, I stood up and everything just went black. Like my ears were ringing. I did not know what was happening to me. And I like, dude, I, I hit my knees and called out for my wife. And when she tells a story, she'll say when she, when she came into that, my office, what she found was a broken man. I was like 26 years old, completely healthy, naval special operator. It's like the peak of my performance, broken down on the floor with this headache that I had just completely stressed myself out. And whenever I talked to the doc, he was like, hey, man, are you working more hours than normal? I said, yeah. He said, have you been hydrating well? I said, no, I've been basically energy drinks and beer, <laughs> right? <laughs> That'll do he says, have you been staring at a computer screen more? I said, yeah. He says, you got a tension headache. And he put me in a full Nelson pop to flex room on my mouth. And by the time I like 10 minutes later, he let me go and it was gone. But I had spent three days in the hospital to get to that point, right? The hospital didn't even know what was going on with me. Uh, it wasn't until a guy who had gone through that himself before just happened to know what it was. And he said, I don't know what you're doing, man, but you had you had better stop. So after that, like I decided, all right, I've got to, I've got to get a good relationship with time. And I stopped doing things that I shouldn't have been doing in the first place. I was doing it all myself. I was renovating my own properties. I was leasing my own tenants. I was looking for my own deals. I was, I was applying for my own loans, everything I was doing myself. And I started started delegating that stuff up and, and stuff out and, and, and stopped it. And ever since then, now, if I don't want to do it, it is very hard to get me to do it, but I've got teammates who do like doing that kind of stuff. It seems like every time I start, I delegate something off, I pick up a new task that I shouldn't be doing. It's like constantly putting wood on the fire and doing things I shouldn't be doing. And you just, you know, you shouldn't, but uh, I, I totally agree delegations and everything and, and everyone around you appreciates it when you do delegate because now you can grow the company uh, and, and do other things. And I'll give you an example of it, man. I was, uh, I was like in, in my first apartment complex, it was a seven unit apartment complex. I was doing drywall, which I hate drywall. I was like mudding in the, the seams and stuff like that. Didn't even know what I was doing. I wasn't even that good at it. 
but I wanted to save some money, right? And I'm listening to Bigger Pockets, and I can't remember the guy's name, but he's like, he's like, you know, there's plenty of people out there right now that are working $50, $60 an hour jobs that are getting off work and calling themselves an investor because they're flipping a house or they're renovating apartments and they're doing stuff that somebody else is willing to do for 10, 15 bucks an hour, like drywall or painting or, and I'm like, I'm sitting there with the, with the mud, <laughs> like dude, this guy's talking to me, man. Like, Oh my God. And I put it down and I, I go on Craigslist and, and drywall, Billy, whoever shows up to my house and he like, yeah, he did it for 15 bucks an hour, but he also did it in like a quarter of the time yeah. it would have taken me. So when I look at that, I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't saving 15 bucks an hour. I was saving like $4 an hour because this dude showed up and did all of my buildings like, like in a couple of days. And it, I was like, it didn't cost me hardly anything. I was like, man, this, the, I, the, I got to learn from this. I don't do drywall no more. I don't paint no more. I don't do, do my yeah. own renovations. I don't do any of that because if you buy the right apartment complexes, then there's enough cushion for you to hire professionals to do the stuff. They're do it better than you. They're faster than you. And they like, I don't know. They're, they're just better than you are at it. <laughs> that, that, that. a, you took the words out of my mouth. He got it done faster and he got it done better because that's their, that's their specialty. That's the trade. They become very, very good at what they do repetitively. And yeah, uh, and cheaper because well not even uh they're they're fair it's a balanced price but uh i totally agree i like that well, let so, me give your uh let me real quick before we move on let me give your investor or your uh, listeners a quick way to do this right because okay don't hire out uh or figure out what to delegate i have this concept called buying back your time and the first thing that you need to do is establish what's called your price tag on time all right. And this is what you are telling the world that your time is worth. If you work by the hour, it's easy. Say you make 25 bucks an hour. Well, then you're telling your boss an hour of your time is worth 25 bucks. So if you go home, look at what it is you can do around your house that someone else is willing to do for less than 25 bucks an hour. Start there. Start delegating those tasks out. For me, I got a full-time career. You know, my, my price tag on time is about a hundred bucks an hour. And then I would go home and mow my own lawn. Well, there was a guy willing to do that. Uh, he could do it in like half an hour for a hundred bucks, but it would have taken me two hours. So I started delegating that out and started the way I look at it. I'm saving time. If you work for a hundred bucks an hour, then don't do $10 an hour tasks. So if you're a salaried worker, take your salary divided by 2000. That's your price tag on time. And the math is simply a, a nine to five for 50 weeks out of the year, out of the year that gives you two weeks vacation. That's 2000 working hours in a year. Take your salary divided by 2000. That's your price tag on time. Anything that you can get someone else to do for cheaper than that, start delegating it. Laundry. There's apps that do laundry for a dollar a pound. I use one called Sudshare. That saves me so much time. I hate doing laundry. It's not the laundry I hate. It's the folding of the clothes. But each load's like two hours from start to finish. It costs me eight bucks. My price tag is $100 an hour. I'm saving $198 by outsourcing that. Like literally me and my wife bag up eight bags of laundry every like week and a half. Send it out. It comes back folded or cleaned, folded, and sorted. A cleaner. 
If you're cleaning your house and somebody else is willing to do it for 25 bucks an hour, buy back your time. Because if what you're doing right now is saying that you don't have time to work on your goals, the goals that you say are the most important to you, because you're doing dumb stuff like mowing your own grass or cleaning your own home or doing your own laundry or DIYing your own. No, start outsourcing anything that's below your price tag on time so you can take that time and focus on your goals. It's exactly how I get that hour a morning. I get, you know, I did any, I don't clean my house. I don't do laundry. I don't do any of this stuff anymore. Right. I use my passive income to pay for it. And eventually if you have enough passive income coming in to do, to pay for all the things that you don't want to do, then you're left with only doing the things you love doing and being able to afford to do the things you love. Like, isn't that what we're all doing this for anyway? That's what your time compounds. And then you pick up a new skill and utilize that skill in your business. Now that becomes better, more profitable. Couldn't I agree more? Uh, what advice would you give someone that is considering real estate? They want to get started. They, they're they trying to connect the dots. They're listening to us right now to, to figure out what direction to go. How would you suggest that they keep moving forward? All right. So there's there, there's every person who wants to get into real estate has got to ask themselves one question. What do you have more of, money or time? If you have a lot of money and want to get into real estate, but you don't have a lot of time, then you need to be a passive investor. You need to invest in somebody who has a lot of time, but not a lot of money. So you can go find people who do syndications. You can go do joint ventures and be more of a, a silent partner. Uh, if you've got a lot of money, but not a lot of time, you're probably not the person who wants to go out and buy an apartment complex. You probably don't have the time to educate yourself on what that looks like or how to buy right, applying for the loans, hiring all the managers. Look, just like the price tag on time, if you're a high net worth individual, it's not worth your time to sit here and learn every aspect of real estate investing. Take your money and have your money work for you passively. If you don't have a lot of money, but you've got a lot of time and you really want to get into real estate, well, you're going to have to earn some sweat equity. You're going to have to be the person who actively invests, meaning learning the skill sets, learning how to find deals that make sense, how to underwrite those deals learning how to raise capital from people who have a lot of money, but not a lot of time, right? Be a magnet for money. These deals and dollars are the two resources that any person interested in real estate can bring to, and can, that, that is what is needed to be, for any deal to work, okay? If you're just getting started, you have to understand what you don't have is experience, okay? You cannot exchange education for experience. Experience comes over time. Um, just know that if you're just getting started and you're wanting to scale up to a large level, focus on bringing real, real estate resources to a team that can help you close that deal and get you a seat at the table. Now, the way that I did it is I was kind of in the middle. I had a pretty good W-2 job and I had some time because I was young and some energy. You can take your money and you can go put down a down payment on a house, start small, uh, I would start in multifamily, duplex, triplex, quadplex, right? Learn it, move on. If you, if the first time that you do it, you want to do a, a duplex and renovate the property yourself and self-manage for a year, don't self-manage because it saves you money. Self-manage because you want to learn what's necessary. Once you've learned it, move on, hire that stuff out learn the next task. And every time you buy a property, let it be bigger and bigger and bigger. Because each time that you do that, 
there's more scalability to it. There's more cushion and you can hire and delegate and delegate and delegate. At this point, I'm doing, um, you know, like three digit apartment complexes in the hundreds, right? I don't have to do every task on that. I raise the money. I help with asset management. I get people involved. I build the teams. I can be the key sponsor on it, but I'm not the person swinging the hammer. I'm not the person doing leases. I'm not doing all of the things that I hate doing. Okay. But you don't start there. You got to focus on getting resources, deals or dollars. So if you can find out how to find properties that, that are worth buying, then you can bring that to an experienced investor, partner with them, carve yourself out some equity. If you can raise money because you've got a network of people, well, and every investor always needs some money because if they're a good investor, they're currently operating and they probably just closed on a property that completely depleted all of their investor money. So they're looking for new money to bring in, right? So that's how I would get started. Uh, and I will say, you don't have to take a course right? Uh, all of the information out there is available and free for you, uh, whether it's books or videos. But I will say that that's kind of like, you have to know the right questions to ask anytime. Like the good thing about courses is that they're laid out for you in chronological step-by-step -step order. If you, if what you lack is education, go get yourself a course. If what you lack is motivation, go get yourself a coach. If you need somebody to answer the question anytime you have it, go get yourself a mentor. Those are the shortcuts that are going to get you where you want to be to achieve your goals faster. If you do everything yourself, you will probably see success, but it's stretched out over your lifetime. You only got one life to live. So if you want to get it going now and you want to get it faster, then you need to go find one of those three things. Yeah, accelerate your career. So one last question. You're on Real Estate Hustlers podcast. What makes you a real estate hustler, Andy? Shit, man. The fact that uh and and I don't know. Look, I am I am fairly uneducated, right? I got uh, a Louisiana public school high school degree is as far as my education went. I'm an enlisted man in the military, and I've the military if I didn't have the military, I'd I don't know where I would be, right? I'm about as simple of a person as it gets. And I've been able to go from zero to 500 units in just a matter of a couple of years. Now, it took a lot of front-end work. I was hustling, hustling hard. But now I've learned to stop glorifying the grind, start living life on my terms, figure out how to do the things that I like, because that's what keeps me motivated. You can only do the things that you hate doing for so long until you get burnt out. And that's what I did. Yeah. But I think I, I think what makes me a real estate hustler is the fact that I do this on top of a full-time job so that when my full-time job is done, so am I. So that's my answer. Perfect. Awesome. If somebody wants to get a hold of you, learn more about yourself, your company, or even invest with you, uh, how can they get a hold of you? All right. So uh, can I plug my Facebook group here? Yeah, please. All right. So I run a Facebook group called Middle Class to Millionaire. All right, you can type that into groups on Facebook and join. Inside our Facebook group, uh, we give away, we do stuff just like Josh does. We have uh, some lives. We give away free tools and templates. We give away analyzers, a, a, a tracker on how to, to, to buy back your time. We give away a lot of free stuff in there. Um, go ahead and join that group. We do offer a real estate course. It's a program. Uh, it's, it's, it's eight weeks of, of learning and another four months of earning. Uh, we do a guarantee that you'll close your first commercial property within six months, or we'll continue working with you until you do. 
Uh, and then that leads into a mastermind, which is called the deal cage. All of our stuff's gorilla related, like <laughs> <laughs> the gorilla, right? And we're currently doing what's called our deal blitz, which is uh, where we get everybody in our mastermind all together. And remember, I talked about those seasons. We're going after deals right now. We get we break into small groups. We have a leaderboard. Uh, we assign coaches and group leaders, and we meet on weekly basis and just grind it out for six weeks. And then we take a breath, man. After that, I'm gonna, I'm going to go on a vacation or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, so if you want to invest with us, our invest the operation side of our business is realfocus.org. All right. Um, Go on there. We can send you an investor questionnaire. But either whether you want to invest with us, work with us, learn from us, go to middleclass to millionaire dot go to middleclass to millionaire dot org or look us up on the Facebook group, and uh, that's how you get a hold to us. Awesome, Randy. Randy, I totally appreciate your time coming on today, speaking with us. Uh, look forward to seeing your path and uh, continued success. Hey, Josh, I appreciate you having me on, man. Thanks. Yes, sir. We'll talk soon. Thanks again. Bye.